Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. I, of course, am the father of the most beautiful beast in the world, Jerry. And today, today, folks, we have one of the greatest moments in the history of this show, one of the most exciting moments in the young history of this company, one of the greatest fantasy players in the history of the game, the one who blends data is subjective analysis better than anyone, in my opinion, the one who has a dozen six-figure scores in large field tournaments, the one who brings water to the needy all over the world, in my opinion, the best NBA DFS player alive, yes, it's true, Drew Dinkmeyer has joined the ETR team as our head of NBA and major contributor to our NFL product. It is the Dink piece himself. Drew, welcome. Couldn't be happier to have you on the pod and on the team, buddy. I couldn't be happier to be here. I got a goosebumps when, when you said officially join the team. Um, it's been something that I'm really excited about and just, you know, working with really quality people, um, both in terms of the, the data analysis and the DFS analysis, but also, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, off the field uh, per se, you know, you guys have been great, uh, great ambassadors for the industry and I'm, I'm super excited to join such a quality team. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about it a lot and like, we spend eight, 10, like during the season, 12, 15 hours a day, like working on this stuff. And like a huge priority is for us, for Evan and I and Taylor and Andrew and all of us to work with people that uh, we really like and we really respect and all that. And so, you know, from that perspective, like it could not be a better fit. And that just, you know, goes without saying all of the DFS stuff too. And so if you're on Team Smell the Roses, like I would encourage people <laughs> to try if you can to work with people that you actually like and want to be around and think are good people. And, and I think, you know, Drew, I think that makes sense for you too. Um, okay. Before we get into it here, I just want to say that uh, I and we at ETR are like adamant. We, I mean, we were adamant that we weren't going to add any sports unless we had the absolute best, right? And like, we're huge, huge believers in quality over quantity. And, and we think we have the best team in the NFL, right now with Evan and myself and everyone that we have brought on. So we were simply like, we weren't going to do the NBA without Dink, period. I want to be clear that this is not some start of new, some new trend where we're going to pretend like we know what's going on with all the other sports like everyone else is. You're not going to see us talking about Korean baseball and, and League of Legends and NASCAR or anything else. Um, so that's one thing. I also want to be very clear that we're not diverting our focus from NFL. That's why we hired... Drew, he'll be contributing plenty on the NFL side, and we'll certainly bring him back on the pod here to talk NFL season long, to talk NFL DFS strategies as we get closer. But Drew's main focus will be our NBA product, which will launch for the restart on July 30th, by the way. So that'll be Drew's forte. That'll be Drew's thing. Evan and I will continue to have our focus on the NFL. We'll also be announcing a new senior NBA analyst shortly, someone I believe many of you know, many of you love, will be pumped about. But again, Evan and I will still be doing our thing on NFL. Nothing changes there other than Dink adding to what we already have. Uh, okay, I, I hope that all makes sense. Uh, first of all, I, I got to ask Dink, why, why NBA? Like, how did NBA become your specialty? Did you always think that you saw the NBA better than other sports? Is there something else about the NBA that turned this into your real passion? Well, there's a number of things that kind of went into it. Uh, first and foremost, growing up a Chicago sports fan. I didn't grow up in Chicago. I grew up in South Florida, but my dad was from Chicago and raised me as a Chicago sports fan. And so having a Michael Jordan and the last dance and the Bulls, uh, you know, repeatedly bring good childhood memories to me. Certainly 
uh, created an attachment to the sport at an early age. And my dad also played college basketball. So I grew up kind of playing basketball a little bit. I played tennis a lot more um, and ended up kind of taking that forward in, in my life. But it's a sport that I've always felt comfortable with and, and sort of, you know, had a feeling for understanding. And then when my DFS career really took off, it really did take off on, on the course of, of NBA. I, I was able to sort of figure out statistically the things that mattered in projecting uh, and understanding DFS on, on the NBA side a little bit better. And, and then I really just love watching the NBA. I mean, I probably, you know, people will ask me like, what shows are you watching and different things like that uh, during the winter. And I'm like, I watch the NBA every night. It's, it's, it's just what I, I love watching it. I will, you know, move from team to team where I find interesting players. And um, through that, I feel like I pick up things that help me in making kind of subjective decisions uh, that, that really can kind of set you apart in terms of understanding, you know, team schemes or rotation changes or, you know, how a player might kind of look in terms of if they're, you know, going through some sort of nagging injury that doesn't look like it's taken into account in the injury report. Um, and so it's just kind of built into this whole thing where really it's, you know, it, it is ball is life for me. Like I just, I love living and, and watching and, uh, and analyzing uh, the NBA. Uh, Drew mentioned his dad, by the way. One of the great disappointments of my life was Drew's dad gave me some, <laughs> Drew's dad's a professional tennis coach. He gave me some mental coaching and a little bit of strategy talk ahead of my frying pan match against Bass. And, and one of the biggest disappointments was choking away those four match points and and letting Drew's dad down. So I know your dad's probably listening and I apologize <laughs> uh, for letting him down there. Uh, anyways, um, I'm sure there's some people listening to this who have never played NBA DFS, but are excited about it because of the restart, because there hasn't been sports, there hasn't been real DFS for so long. If people who have never played NBA DFS before are thinking about jumping in for the restart and there have been NFL players only, how would you compare? How would you contrast? What should they look out for from a really high level perspective? Yeah, from a really high level perspective, I'd say the differences between NFL and NBA, the, the first and foremost is the uh, the velocity in which the news and the information changes the slate. Uh, in NFL, you have kind of a whole week to digest information and think about how injury situations are developing and sort of plan in your head, okay, if this player is ruled out Sunday morning, I'm going to shape my lineups like this. In the NBA, you might have, let's say, 75% of the injury information available to you on any given slate, and then the last 25% is all going to come in in the last 30 to 45 minutes right before lock. And so digesting that information and being able to make good effective decisions off it is very different than in the NFL where even on Sunday morning, if you get late news, late news is still an hour and a half before the game start. And it's usually just one or two things that you're waiting on. And the NBA things can kind of come out of nowhere. So the big difference with the NBA and the NFL is just the, the quickness in, with, in which you need to make decisions. Um, from that point forward, in terms of the actual games, I think the other big distinction between the two sports is that in NFL, you can sort of have one outlier performance really carry a lineup. Um, you can see that where you find the one guy who scores three touchdowns on a given week. And it's because of the scoring system in the NFL, you can have a player who's done nothing for three quarters and then breaks off an 80 yard touchdown catch. And all of a sudden they've delivered excess value in terms of their price tag. There's not, no situation that resembles that in the NBA that can effectively happen. Either a player's had a good game throughout the game or they've had a poor game throughout the game. Mm -hmm. And because all of the scoring is relatively small iterations, you know, a three-pointer here, a two-pointer here, a rebound here or there, uh, they add up over time. It makes the sport a little bit easier to 
manage your expectations and understand where player performance is going to come in. And so it also makes the sport a little bit more price sensitive in general uh, compared to the NFL. The NFL, I think there's a little bit more room for sort of feel and nuance. In the NBA, there's a little bit more dependence on, on the math behind things. Yeah, you know, there's a running joke in the DFS community that nobody loses at NBA DFS, right? <laughs> and the reason that I think people make this joke and people think this is because it's more projectable, right? Like you don't play Russell Westbrook and he gets like two points where you could play yeah. Chris Godwin or you could play Christian McCaffrey and there's a chance he only gets five or six points. And you look like a total idiot. Russell Westbrook's always going to perform in a, almost always going to perform in a range that is relatively tight. So people don't think that they're making egregious mistakes because well it just is what it is guy got close to his projection he got in foul trouble there was a blowout whatever you know i i was gonna win uh if it wasn't for that so and i think that's one thing it's just easier to uh handle the variance in nba at least to project the variance there's gonna be way more in nfl there's gonna be way more in baseball it's just so much more consistent but to that end obviously everybody's not winning in nba dfs why do you think people uh, feel that way. And I think a lot of it has to do with the variance. And I do think that if you're actually really good at NBA D- DFS, your edge will be realized at a more stable rate and probably yep. at a at a higher rate than the other sports just because of that lack of variance in, in how players perform. Yeah, it will definitely be realized quicker, uh, both in terms of the lack of variance, but also in terms of the number of slates. You get so many more slates in NBA to mm-hmm. play than you do during the course of a full NFL season. And I think that's one of the aspects of it as well, that you know, when things aren't going well in an NFL season, and let's say you've lost, you know, three or four slates in a row, that's a month. <laughs> and that really takes an emotional toll on you. In NBA, you'll certainly go through those ruts as well. Uh, but you, you always kind of have the next slate to, to re- refocus yourself. And so I think for some people, just the, the frequency in which the availability of putting your skill to the test uh, is there allows them to feel more, more or less like, uh, you know, the, the, the skill wins out quicker. So I do think it's a sport that through the way that it's scored and through the frequency of, of the opportunities that really does reward the people who are doing the best work. Um, by the way, if you go to the site right now, establishesrun.com, you'll find a free article from Dink titled Five Biggest Mistakes NBA Play NBA DFS Players Make. I think a lot of people will benefit from reading that and reading that closely. The other thing I wanted to ask Dink about his play is, uh, I think at one time in Dink's life, and maybe I'm wrong, but he was more like me and Andrew. Uh, yeah. where we were playing one lineup and playing it for as much as we can. And we thought that, uh, you know, and, and there's, I've talked a ton on podcasts about why I feel this way. And I, I've joked about it and I've been serious about it. But, you know, about how the large field tournaments, I think, uh, don't fit my skill set that well, don't fit my emotional state that well. I think I uh, play worse when um, I think that you have to go away from what I think is optimal and stuff like that. But anyways, Drew was with us, was with me and Andrew for a long time. Over the last, I don't know, Drew, uh, two or three years, you have turned your back on the cash community yeah. Yeah. and become one of the MME, one of the GPP, one of the large field DFS grinders. And to be fair, I, I am somewhat jealous because I do think that's where the best games are right now. I just have never um, had success with it and I don't think it fits me that well. But why the decision to play tournaments and what have you found by switching your focus to tournaments full-time? Yeah, the decision for me really did uh, revolve around kind of what you said there at, at the end, that I felt like that was the direction where the games were, were going to be the softest. And especially, you know, in NBA, I, I used to try to literally dominate the lobby um, back in the days of, you know, Condia and, and mm-hmm. uh, Sahil and all, all these other people that you play against. 
And what, what ended up happening is over time, the MBA markets got so saturated for me that I felt like, you know, I was looking at cash games and, and double ups and 50-50s that I could compete in. And I was thinking, you know, at best, I have a very small edge. And to make enough to make a living doing this professionally, I would have to outlay a ton of capital uh, to be able to, to realize those returns. And so I recognized that I could still grind out, uh, you know, a 5 to 7% kind of return on investment in cash games and in make good money, but it would require risking a lot of capital. And if I was wrong for one season, if I, if I, you know, something went awry in kind of the way that I was looking at the league in that year, um, the consequences would be more severe. So what I decided to do was allocate more of my resources into tournaments. And what I found there is I have a higher return on investment. The, the, the wear and tear on the mental side of the game is much tougher, honestly, in, in GPPs because you lose so frequently. Um, it's one of the biggest challenges and probably one of the biggest myths around people who are tournament players in DFS is the idea that they're always um, sort of you know at the top of the leaderboard. But really what you're doing is you're trying to get a few of those each year that kind of make your whole year. Um, and so you know the, the mentality changes a little bit, but it's also a more enjoyable experience for me on a nightly basis because instead of sitting there in like one lineups lock looking at and being like, okay, I have this 2v2 that is deciding my entire night and I'm just gonna focus on these two guys. It's like, okay, I can enjoy the NBA broadly and see what lineups sort of funnel up at the end of the night. So it's a, on a day-to-day -day basis, the wear and tear emotionally is a little bit easier for me as a GPP player, but over the like weeks and months, it does take a toll on kind of on, on losing a little bit more frequently. I will say that I think these games are the, still the ripest place in DFS, I think you're getting more of the casual players who want to try to take attempts at, at, at getting those big prize pools. And you're also getting people who, you know, if one, if a person is in a cash game and they have thousands of dollars out on their cash game lineup compared to a person who has a few entries in the biggest MME tournament and has maybe $80, when late news locks, you can guarantee that person who has thousands of dollars on the line is going to be reacting to it and probably reacting to it in an intelligent way. And there's a good percentage of the field in these uh, big, large-field GPPs that just are not reacting to news. And so naturally, it, it negates some of the, the site fees that you're paying when you're getting people who are kind of running out lineups that just don't have as, as much of a chance to compete because they're not reacting to the news. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, late news, even in NFL, you know, late news becomes way more valuable than if news comes out on, on Wednesday or Thursday. But what you just talked about is actually another reason that I thought he was like the perfect fit because obviously Andrew uh, and myself uh, focus so much on cash that having someone who plays GPPs at such a high level would be a really big help to us on both sides. So Drew is going to be working on content and articles that reflect the GPP side of things uh, as well for both NFL and NBA. So I am excited about that and particularly his thoughts on large field GPPs and how slate context and all that fits in. Okay, with all that in mind, we have to talk about what the product will look like. We are going to do a light product for the restart, for the NBA restart, which starts July 30th. We'll just be a little taste of what is to come next season. We will have our tiered top plays similar to NFL. We will have live shows featuring Drew and Andrew Wiggins, as I mentioned, a.k.a. Makasupa, who everybody knows from the nosebleed stake streets in NBA. We will have continuously updating depth charts. We will have a daily matchups column. We'll have an injury live blog. We are still working out pricing, but it will be far cheaper than what we will have for the upcoming regular season once this restart is over. Um, okay, let me explain why I think 
that there's going to be a huge edge on this restart. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, sure. Drew. I think that this is going to be like preseason NFL level edge. The information that is available is going to be limited. Um, I don't think there's going to be a ton of beat writers down there. I think finding news, which is something that like makes sports like WNBA so profitable. Like I have spent far too much time on WNBA players, Instagram pages, seeing if they are in the city while they'll be playing or if they have a cast on or not. I think we're going to be have a major information search for NBA. And I think we can be really good at that and help people with that. Uh, players just sitting, scratching, not showing. We're going to have guys from the G League in the rotation, understanding the depth. I think teams are going to use this eight game restart as kind of like a get in shape uh, yep. thing. Like a lot of the teams who aren't battling uh, and don't care too much about seeding, let's just get in shape. Let's just not get anybody hurt and get to the playoffs. And then uh, maybe most importantly, the games are all day. Like keeping up with this is going to be like 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day at least. And we know that no one has that kind of time. You guys are on Team Smell the Roses. You guys are on <laughs> Team Sex as you should be. But Dink, uh, Dink is not. Yeah. He is not no. on He's not on team so he's not on he's not on team sex. He is Dink is at your service to figure out some how like some G League dudes gonna do in his 15 minutes on the floor. So are you following me on all these points, Dink? Am I incorrect in assuming yeah. that this is going to be a uh somewhere you can generate ROIs that you haven't been able to do in NBA in years? So I think all of that is is true. Um, I think any context where you're going to have to kind of work harder to get out information, but also follow things longer, the timeline that you're required to kind of be, be paying attention is longer because of the way these slates are going to be broken up, I think is an advantage to the player who is putting in that effort. Um, you know, these are skill games. So anytime you have more chances to exhibit your skill compared to your competition, you're going to benefit. I also think that these are going to be some of the most casual driven contests that we've ever had for NBA. Um, the thirst and desire for professional sports is incredible right now, as we've seen with some of the ratings on these random golf tournaments mm -hmm. that literally no one would tune in uh, to, uh, you know, for years and now are like outdoing the, the masters in terms of the coverage. So I think the thirst for professional sports is going to lead to a lot of people playing DFS that haven't done so before. And if you have the benefit of having the experience of people who have done it for nearly a decade, you will be in an advantage compared to the people who are just kind of walking in uh, totally fresh and thinking that they can just kind of figure things out. Uh, there's a lot of nuance to MBA. Um, I've been studying it for, for nearly a decade now and putting out content and uh, in analysis on it. And so I'm, I'm very prepared. I'm very anxious. I'm ready to go. Uh, this was enough of a break for me. I don't need... I don't need months and months off, uh, and I've had it, so I'm ready to I'm ready to to, to rise and grind and and look at uh, all the different things that are going on in the news flow to try to give uh, subscribers an edge. Yeah, I can't wait for games during the day. It's tough for me. It's been tough for me the last couple of years to play NBA uh, at 7 p.m. lock yep. Eastern because of the kids, and, and so that's when they're taking a bath and when they're eating. But a 12:30 lock, a 2 p.m. lock, a 4 p.m. lock. Now we're talking, buddy. So I'm excited to. Uh, I'm excited to be in the streets. A couple other restart things I wanted to run by you. This Christmas Day style slate yeah. structure where there's just like a line of games all day. I mean, a lot's going to go into that with news, with late swap. We're going to talk a ton more about this as the games get closer. But from a high level, how can we leverage this Christmas style uh, slate schedule where games are just back to back to back all day? So I've always thought that, that Christmas slate that we get 
um, every year is one of the most profitable ones. And it's one that I do, that I, that I do venture back into the cash game streets and I do try to play pretty aggressively. And it's, it's for two different reasons. One, because I know that that is a, a day that a lot of people's attention is going to be split in terms of where they're able to focus their attention. And uh, when people's attention is split, that's a good thing for somebody whose, whose attention is, is on the ball. And so uh, I think that aspect will continue in this type of structure. But I also think the the you know late swap is one of the biggest advantages to people who use it because such a high percentage of the field doesn't use it. And if I if I could simply explain that if you had the the opportunity to have more information at your disposal when making a, a, a decision, I don't know anybody who would say no, I want less information. Um, and that's what LateSwap is. It's simply a tool that allows you to get more information. A lot of people use it just to substitute people out on news, but there's a lot more information that you have that's beyond just the, the one injury news. You might have more information about how that affects the pricing and values of the players on the slate uh, based on that injury situation. You might have more information about how your early players have performed in terms of what you should be doing with your lineups. And so as a result, um, if, if the slate schedule is consistently these, you know, all day slates that are kind of broken up game by game by game, I think it will provide a nice opportunity for us to give a lot of analysis that prepares everybody to be able to kind of move alongside the news and information. And basically every move you're, you're doing alongside news and information, you're increasing your ROI slightly. It will take time to reflect it over time, but those are decisions that when you're doing them and your opponents are not, you're giving yourself extra edge pretty much every time you make another decision like that. Yeah, exactly. No time for Team Smell the Roses during this NBA <laughs> slate, that's for sure. Uh, two topics that uh, I think Drew is going to be writing about on the site soon, but I wanted to preview at least is the idea of scorekeeping and officiating yeah. on these neutral sites. That's the first thing. And the second is kind of slate size and game stacking. But I, I am fascinated by this whole scorekeeping thing because when I was playing <laughs> NBA, like it's like it's like almost criminal. Like Anthony Davis would average like 3.6 yeah. blocks per game at home. Yeah. And then he would go on the road, he'd average 1.2 blocks per game. It's not because he blocks so many fewer <laughs> shots on the road. It's because the scorekeeper, anytime anybody gets near him, is giving yeah. Anthony Davis a block. I mean, these guys should borderline be in jail. Now, <laughs> now, now at this, we're not going to have that. We're going to have neutral site in Orlando. We're going to have neutral officiating, which I think, you know, a lot of the home field stuff, a lot of data has shown it really comes down to uh, officiating. So yeah. this all this neutral site stuff, I think, does have an impact. How do you plan on dealing with that? in Orlando at this restart with all the neutral site stuff. So, yeah, and, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in, in the article in depth, but essentially um, every team has a different level of friendliness in their scorekeepers in the NBA because two statistics in particular are subjective and they're at the scorekeeper's discretion. One you mentioned is blocks and people will think, oh, how are blocks subjective? And I'll tell you how blocks are subjective. There are many times during an NBA game where a player is like near the sideline and they look like they might be going up to pass or shoot and the ball gets kind of stripped out of their hands. Mm -hmm. That can be recorded as nothing, just kind of knocked out of bounds, or it can be recorded as a block. And some scorekeepers are much friendlier when certain players are in that area because the team wants to promote those players, get good results and so on. And then an assist is obviously very subjective. You can see different scorekeepers during the course of the NBA season where you know a player passes to uh, someone at the three-point line they dribble around a defender and kind of go in for a layup and they get an assist. And you're like, well, what was really credited there? The person dribbling around or, 
So you get these subjective statistics, and essentially what's going to happen is some of the players who have benefited most from those friendly scorekeepers um, in their home environments are clearly not going to have that. There's no home court advantage. There's a stable scorekeeper. So you're going to have more of a situation where everyone's sort of treated equally. Mm -hmm. And so the players that have been on teams that have had less uh, generous scorekeepers in the past are probably going to be a little bit undervalued relative to their peers. And I'll give you one example because it's my favorite player in the NBA. But Nikola Jokic, if you look, his assist rates at home and on the road are very different over the course of, of uh, his, his career in Denver. Some of that you might be able to attribute to a uh, team shoot better at home and different things like that. Uh, it could be the altitude in Denver. But if you really strip out everything, the scorekeeper has a big effect. And so he's a player that will probably see his assist rate decline a little bit in these neutral environments. Okay. I'm fascinated by all that stuff. I can't wait for the article. The last thing I want to talk about, you hear so much in uh, DFS today, even on the NBA side, about game stacking, about uh, everybody should be game stacking and I'm going to play six guys from this game and hope it goes to overtime. And that just never seemed to make a lot of sense to me. Obviously, when it works out, um, it looks great, but the actual rates of games going to overtime and you actually winning when the game goes to overtime, et cetera, et cetera, I think, at least anecdotally, is lower than the rate that people are playing it at. So give the people a general overview of what you think of game stacking, of stacking in general of NBA. And people are so trained in NFL now to stack, stack, yeah. stack, stack, stack. Should we be doing that in the NBA and in, and in what circumstances? So the idea in the NFL of, of why you game stack is because the correlation is more clear in the NFL, right? When a wide receiver has a big game, the quarterback has to have kind of a, a meaningful game alongside them. And so those two performances are utterly linked. In the NBA, the idea of where the correlation is, everybody kind of assumes that it's just based on kind of the minutes. Um, and so if we can get that 5% chance of a game going to overtime, we can get those five extra minutes for the starters. And so you're chasing a 5% uh, likelihood of an event to try to get a top 1% finish in GPP. And people say, oh, well, that's great math because it happens more than the finish that I'm looking for. But what you just referenced in terms of how often it is utilized is one of the key things. And I think game stacking in the NBA should be extremely slate different dependent. And we'll cover uh, in the article some of the specific things that you're looking for in the type of slate and in the type of game environment to game stack. But I think what people generally do that is a mistake is they think they open up the slate, they see however many games there are, they look at the game with the highest total, and then they start trying to fit in all the guys that they can from that game. And usually teams that play at a high pace consistently and they have these high totals, it's reflected in these players' price tags usually already. So you're kind of in a price-sensitive game, loading up um, from one game almost all of your exposure in a game that is also likely to be heavier owned because everybody's kind of looking at the same thing. And so I think game stacking should be utilized in a much different way. I'll cover it more in depth in the article for our subscribers. Uh, but I do think it is a concept that is often sort of um, misattributed and used somewhat uh, recklessly because it's not differentiated on when it's a good time to use and when it's not in the NBA. Whereas in the NFL, because the correlation is always there between the players, you're not just chasing kind of an overtime situation. I think it's, it's, you can use it more liberally and feel like you're making a good decision. In the NBA, I think you need to be a little bit more careful in the selection of those, uh, those games to stack. Yeah, for sure. And also, uh, as you mentioned, NFL, it brought to mind that I am working on uh, some stuff with Leone, obviously our director of analytics about the NFL side and exactly what we should be doing with stacking, how often we should be bring it back, bring it back with two guys, stacking with three guys, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll have that up well before the NFL DFS season 
starts. Okay, Dink, could not be more excited to have you. A plus human, A plus fantasy player, very difficult thing to find. Tell the people where they can find you other than, of course, now on Establish the Run, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Drew Dinkmeyer, my name, D-R-E-W-D-I-N-K-M-E-Y-E-R. Um, and you can see me totally newly branded with a new profile pick and, and everything. And I finally gave up the Wall Street Journal dot drawing after all these years that mm-hmm. everyone told me made me look like I was 70 years old. So, uh, mm-hmm. so hopefully a new, fresher face for, for a new, fresh start in, in this chapter of my life. Yep. I'm actually uh, coaching Drew through uh, <laughs> improving his, his Twitter and his Twitter feed. And we're going to pick one and stick with it like I've done for the last 12 years. Okay. <laughs> Uh, oh, by the way, I wanted to mention, we will have a, a Establish the Run NBA podcast separate feed going up. So stay tuned for that. This feed will remain mostly football. It will remain uh, the interviews that we do, the solo pods, whatever. But we will have an NBA specific feed. So we'll let you guys know when you can go ahead and subscribe to that. That'll be free, of course, on iTunes. All right. So excited. We got ended here, though, for now. For Drew For producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm